How many are amazed at God's grace? Isn't it a wonderful thing? Please pray with me today. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the grace that's being bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. Lord, truly your grace amazes us day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Lord, your grace is so amazing. Lord, as we look into your word today, Lord, we pray that you would bless our hearts, O God, through the eternal truths found in your word, O God. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. We just commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see each of you here. Happy to see all your smiling faces. I wonder how many people read Ruth chapter 2 before you came to the service. I hope you did, but just in case, if you didn't, that's why we read it again this morning, just to be on the safe side. So just as a quick recap of what we looked at uh, last week, we looked in Ruth chapter 1, and just to recap the story, Naomi um, had a husband whose name was Elimelech, and she also had two sons, and they, because of the famine that was in Israel, they decided to leave Israel and go to the land of Moab. Now, let me say one thing, because I know I, I portrayed Naomi a little uh, negatively and sort of accentuated her bad characteristics, but more than likely, going to Moab was probably her husband's decision uh, because of the culture at the time. Uh, usually the men made the decision, big decisions like that. So they went to Moab, and uh, when they got there to Moab, of course, Elimelech died, and then... Naomi's two sons took, two, uh, took wives who were Moabite women. And then they, those two sons, they died. And then Naomi is just left feeling empty. And then she hears that the famine is finished in Jerusalem, in, in Bethlehem, sorry, and decides to go back to uh, Bethlehem. She pleads with her two daughter-in-laws, stay here in Moab. You can go and find husbands, you know, from your own land and Out of the two, Ruth begs and pleads with Naomi and says, please let me stay with you. And so Naomi, seeing that, you know, this girl is not going to let up, she ends up uh, staying with uh, Naomi. And in the midst of all of this that we saw, the calamity, the failures, the problems, the difficulties that Naomi and family were going through, I hope we also saw a little bit some glimmers of hope, some glimmers of God's favor and love. Towards them. And I hope in, in our situations of, of problems and difficulties and hardships, we also can see those, those little glimmers of hope, signs of kindness of the Lord. And we ended Ruth chapter 1 with the beginning of barley harvest, which was a sign of good things to come for Naomi, for Ruth, and for their soon-to-be new family as well. Some weeks ago, uh, during the Advent season, I told you a story, maybe some of you might remember, about a man that was in prison in Vietnam and how he was a Christian, but little by little, because of the communist regime, he was losing his, his faith because of some brainwashing, and he finally found some pieces of scripture when he was cleaning the toilets because somebody was using the pages of the Bible like toilet paper. I don't know if you remember that story or not. And the love that he had for the Word of God... Um, you know, he was willing to take those pieces of paper and clean them off and read the Word of God, especially that verse in Romans 8, verse 28, that says, God works all things together for good to those that love God. But I didn't finish telling you the end of that story. And, well, I won't say the end of that story, the next part 
of that story. And the next part of that story is that because of some circumstances, he was let out of prison and he uh, promptly decided to make some plans to leave the country. And uh, with 53 other people, they decided to construct a boat and to leave Vietnam. And as they were planning and preparing for this, four Viet Cong men came, and these were the enemy, and they said, we heard about your plan to leave the country. And this man was so shocked, and he couldn't believe it. And he said, no, there's no plan to leave the country. And he lied to them, and they left. And after they left, he felt so burdened, he felt so ashamed that as a Christian, he would just straight out lie uh, because of his situation. And so he prayed a prayer to the Lord that he hoped God would not answer. And the prayer was, Lord, I'm sorry, but if you send them back again, I will tell them the truth. And he prayed that, hoping, Lord, please, you know, this is one prayer you don't need to answer. Just a few hours before they were ready to leave, these four men came back again and knocked on the door. And his heart sank. And he said, we heard, they said, we heard of your plan to escape the country. And he said, yes, it's true. We're planning on leaving. And you know what they did? They said, we want to come with you. <laughs> and he was so shocked. He was so surprised. And he, he said, okay. And they went together and they got on this boat. But as they were on this boat, there were so many waves and so much problems and the the boat was going up and down and so much difficulty. And at that time, this man, he called out to God and he said, Lord, did you bring us here to die? And in the midst of that situation, these four men who were the enemy were excellent sailors. And because of them, they were able to navigate the seas And come safely to land. And I wonder how many times in our situation. The problem is actually a provision. The pain is actually a promise. And the peril actually leads to prosperity. In our life. In this situation what he thought was. I don't want these guys. These guys are the enemies. But it ended up being a blessing for him. And in many situations of our life. Similar to what Ruth And Naomi are going through the calamity, the problem. Yet God, as I said last week, I hope you remember this one phrase. If there's anything that you remember from this whole series, please remember this one thing. God is planning in love for you. God is planning in love for you. And and for the story of this man, God was planning in love for him. And that's why he sent these four men. Although he didn't want them, God knew ahead of time these were the four men that could navigate those seas. To bring him safely to land. So where are we now in the story of Ruth? We're in chapter 2. Naomi is still calling herself bitter and calling herself Mara and says, you know, I'm empty. I don't have nothing. She doesn't acknowledge or see the blessing that Ruth is or that Ruth will be. Maybe she's even seeing from the eyes of other Israelite people that, in, that Naomi, she's more of a, a negative than a positive. She's a, a foreigner. She's from a strange land. She's from a, a pagan land. And in this situation for Ruth as well, Ruth has come back now to Israel. She has settled herself to perpetual widowhood, childlessness, to a new land, to a new uh, language, as an outsider, as a minority, as a person from a despised nation. All the boxes are checked on the negative column for Ruth. 
And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 2. And we saw that the barley harvest is just starting. But remember, God is planning in love. Even when the situation seems tragic or disappointing or hopeless, God uses people around us to bring comfort. God used Ruth to bring comfort to Naomi. And I wonder how many times I know that God in our situations will use other people to bring us comfort and strength in our most difficult times. So we're left with two characters in the story now. We're left with Naomi and Ruth. And we're introduced to a new character in chapter 2. And that's Boaz. And as we go through this chapter, we're just going to go, you know, just verse by, by verse through this chapter and see a few things. But as we work through this chapter, what, I, what I'd like us to keep in the back of our mind is this spiritual shadow that's shown towards us through Ruth and Boaz. Now, I'll give you a secret ahead of time. I hope I'm not ruining the story, but Ruth and Boaz get married in the end. Okay? Right? And this picture of Boaz and Ruth getting married is a representation of this theology in the Bible, the greater picture that God is trying for us to understand of how God is bringing us to himself, how we represent Ruth and God represents Boaz, and the relationship that we have in Christ because of what he's done for us is this intimate relationship similar to marriage where we can fellowship with God. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32, here Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's talking about marriage here. But then he goes on to say, This mystery is profound, and I am saying, so he's like, but really what I'm talking about is Christ and the church. And so this picture we see in the book of Ruth, of Boaz and Ruth, and how God shows favor through Boaz to Ruth, which is what we'll see today. And as they come together in these chapters of the book of Ruth, it's actually a picture of how God brings us together to him. And how we become the bride of Christ. And how we're able to fellowship and know God. And so if we, we can see God's favor in this whole chapter, in this whole book. So verse 1, we're introduced to Boaz, and we're introduced to him as a, as a worthy man, as a, as a man of reputation. And actually it says here that he's playing this role of the kingsman redeemer. Now Naomi had forgotten about this in chapter 1, to the point where she told her daughters, look, you better go back and find other husband, uh, husbands because I have nobody else for you. But she had totally forgotten about this kingsman redeemer, this person that could marry Ruth and bear children. And so at the first verse in this chapter, we're reintroduced to this concept because this is what we're going to see for the next couple of chapters. And then in verse 2, Ruth gets permission from Naomi and asks her, you know, can I go out and glean in the fields? Because they're poor. They don't have nothing. They've come back empty. They have no money. They have no riches. They have no wealth. They have no food. And so Ruth says, let me go out into the fields. Let me go out and let me see if I can pick up some grain. And what God had actually ordained in the Old Testament which is important for us to understand because there is a spiritual principle for us as well, is that the poor people, what they could do is that if you were a landowner, if you had fields, you weren't supposed to harvest all of your grain. You were supposed to leave parts of your grain in the corners and leave it for the poor people so that after you finished gleaning your harvest, there were still some left and the poor people that didn't have anything, they could come behind and pick up some food for themselves. 
And God did that because of this eternal truth that God cares for the poor. We see it all throughout scripture from the beginning to the end. God loves the poor. He cares for the poor. His heart yearns for the poor. He longs to show favor to the poor. And so Ruth, she goes out into the field and she's gleaning there. And in verse 3 it says that Ruth came, oh, by chance, out of all the fields in Israel, lo and behold, she is in the field of Boaz. What a coincidence, Coincidence, right? No, not at all. This is no coincidence that she comes and gleans in the field of Boaz. This is God planning in love for Ruth. It's not by chance that Ruth just ends up in Boaz's field. It's God planning in love, God ordaining, God preparing, God setting things up. He is the grand designer. He is the orchestra conductor. And he's moving and he's motivating and he's doing things so that everything falls in line because he is planning in love for you And for me. And Ruth just doesn't end up there. She's there because God wants her right there. You're not here just because you ended up here. You're here today in God's house because God wants to do a work in your life. And in my life. And God's spirit is here. In verses 4 to 7. Boaz arrives. Boaz happens to come. He happens again to come. Just when Ruth gets there. Right? Not a coincidence again. Boaz is out doing other stuff and he comes back and he notices Ruth and he asks the people there in in, in his land, who is that woman? They said, this is Ruth. And Boaz shows favor to Ruth. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz says here, keep close. This is the same word that's used in Ruth chapter 1 in verse 14 when, Ruth, when the author says Ruth clung to Naomi. It's the same word that's used here that Boaz says, stay close, cling here, stay close. It's a term of endearment, of love, of favor. There were opportunities for Ruth to be hurt and maybe abused in in those fields. But Boaz is there looking to protect, looking to care, looking to show favor. And it's it's amazing what Boaz does here. Because if you consider the culture of of that day, a wealthy male landowner who is of a total different standing and status than Ruth... For him to go and reach out his hand and show favor towards her is absolutely amazing. This is a culture where the foreigners would serve the Israelites. It was a culture where the women would serve the men, where the slaves would serve the rich. It was a culture that this was happening and this wealthy male landowner goes against all the social norms and extends his hand out of favor to Ruth. She was a foreigner. She was an outsider. She was a Gentile from a pagan land. A minority. And Boaz shows favor. And it's the same favor that God shows to us. Friends, it's the same favor that we as Gentiles, as outsiders of the promises of God and the covenants of God, we who are sinners and not worthy of God's grace, this is the same grace, the hand of mercy, the extended favor that he shows towards us. 
In Romans 5 and verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. We were far away from God. We didn't know who God was. We were strangers. We were aliens. We were foreigners to the kingdom of God, having no hope and without God in the world. But here's the good news. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In the same way that Ruth was far away, she was, she was the, 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 every characteristic of her was that she was a foreigner, alienated. She was out, an outsider. And Boaz here crosses all of these norms and says, I'm going to show favor towards her. I don't know if you remember the story when Jesus, in the New Testament when Jesus was in one place and he was eating and a sinful woman came to him. And she came and she anointed him. And washed his feet with her tears. And everyone else looking around despised her and said, how can Jesus allow such a sinner to touch touch him? But Jesus, with favor and compassion, looked on her with love and said, your sins are forgiven. Another time, Jesus was at a well. And there was a Samaritan woman that was there. She she was an outsider. She was not part of the, the people of Israel. And Jesus asked her for a drink of water. She was shocked that Jesus would even talk to her. But he said, I'm here. I want to give you living water. And see the response of Ruth in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 10. How does Ruth respond to this kindness, to this favor that Boaz is showing her? She says, then she fell on her face. She just fell down on her face. And she bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth realizes the situation. Why in the world is this wealthy male landowner looking down upon me and showing me favor? And there's many times I ask myself the question, why, God, do you look down upon me and show me favor? Why do you look down upon me and have mercy and kindness? What have I done? I've done nothing, but that's why it's called grace, unmerited favor. Did I, have I ever told you about the verse in the Bible that I don't believe? I know I probably shouldn't say this from the pulpit. <laughs> but the verse in the Bible that I don't believe is the verse that says that God does not show favoritism. Because when I look at my life, I see favoritism all over the place. Left, right, and center, day after day. God showing his favoritism, his favor towards me. And Ruth realizes this. You know, God notices us to the very point that he counts the very hairs of our head. Ask your husband or your wife today, honey, do you know how many hairs I have on my head? (laughs) You don't, but God does. That's the favor, the kindness. And Boaz responds beautifully in, in verse 12. Boaz says here, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come to take refuge. Now, just put a little star here. Just, you know, bookmark this place. Because when we get to chapter 3 next week, we're going to come back to this verse because it's very, very important. But here, Boaz acknowledges and says, Ruth, you have come to find refuge where? Under the wings of the Lord. And that's where I get the title of this message today. Favor under his wings. 
where we come and we rest, we take refuge, we find comfort, we find protection. This is what Ruth found. She found comfort, protection, and favor through Boaz. We find comfort, protection, and favor through our Boaz, who is Jesus. But in many ways in our lives, God surrounds us with other people to protect us, to help us, to support us, to encourage us in our times of need. There are others that God puts round about us that are there to help us. And it's interesting that, I'm going to give you another secret, okay? You ready? I already told you that they get married. But do you know their great-grandson is David, who becomes king who becomes a sweet psalmist of Israel. And he writes so many beautiful psalms. And as I was reading some of these psalms, and I saw these verses, and I was thinking to myself, maybe David remembered what happened to his great-grandparents. I want to encourage all the parents here, what the, the promises of God that he's given you, tell them to your children and to your grandchildren. The testimonies of God's faithfulness, tell them to your children and to your grandchildren. And if you get the opportunity to your great-grandchildren, tell them the testimonies of God's goodness, of God's favor, of God's kindness towards you, of God's provision for you. And they will know that there is a God, a living God, that works in the lives of men. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Boaz and Ruth, maybe they met David. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't say. It's it's quite possible they were his great-grandparents. But it's interesting, in Psalm 17, it says, David writing here, he says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Maybe he was told to David, hey, you know what? The first conversation between your great-grandparents, you know, on their first date, this is what happened. And Boaz, your great-grandfather, told your great-grandmother, you're hiding under the shadow of of the Lord's wings. You are protected there. And maybe David heard that story. And as he's writing the Psalms, he talks about this shadow of your wings in Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. David understood God's love. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Maybe he was remembering and he was thinking, oh, my great-grandmother who was a foreigner, who was an outsider, who was a Gentile, but now brought into the family of God. And so for all mankind, they can take refuge in the wings of the Lord. When David was in the wilderness of Judah and he was running away, he was going through a terrible problem. He was going through a trial, but then he wrote here in Psalm 63, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Maybe he was was told the story of how Ruth clung to Naomi. Maybe he was told the story how Boaz told Ruth, cling or stay close to me. And so David says here, my soul clings to you, O God. He found refuge in the Lord. And God does the same for us, where we can can find refuge and find rest in the Lord. But God wants us as well to be his hands and feet. We can look at this story through the eyes of Naomi and see God's favor towards us. But remember, we can also look at this story through the eyes of Boaz and see how God wants to use us to bestow favor, kindness, protection, and love to others. And so we are God's hands and feet. We want to help the hurting and the hungry. And and Ruth's response to this is beautiful as well in verse... verse, um, 13, 
It says, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. She acknowledges, I'm nobody here, but you're so kind to me. And if that wasn't favor enough, look at the next verse, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Here Boaz is now inviting her to the table. Come and eat with us. This is a picture of the fellowship that God invites us to. How he invites us to his table. How he invites us to come. When we partake of the table of the Lord, how we come and have fellowship with him. If you remember the story in the New Testament, there was a time when Peter, after in in the book of Acts, and Peter was going to uh, visit a Gentile. And God told him, don't call anything common or unclean that I have already sanctified. Peter, he didn't want to go into the house of Cornelius. He thought, oh, I can't even eat with these people because they're Gentiles. But God said, no, I've accepted them. This is what Christ has done. These are are some of the broader, broader themes of the Bible that we see highlighted here in the book of Ruth. This acceptance of the Gentiles. This acceptance that God has for us that brings us into the family of God to fellowship with him. And there's an interesting story in in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it's a story of a guy named Mephibosheth. I didn't sneeze, right? It's a hard name. It's an interesting story. No time to get into all the details. But I'm telling you this story because, again, it relates to David. And I just wonder how much David knew of the story of Boaz and Ruth. Because in this story of Mephibosheth, the story is that Saul dies... And David is best friends with Saul's son, King Saul. Okay, King Saul's son is Jonathan. David is best friends with him. David has a covenant with Jonathan to do good to him and his house. And so after Saul dies and Jonathan dies, David makes an inquiry and he says, Is there anybody else of the house of Saul, of the house of Jonathan, that I can show kindness to? That I can show favor to? That I can show love to for the sake of Jonathan? And they said, yeah, Jonathan has a son. His name is Mephibosheth. But there's a problem. He's crippled. And David looks out for him. He finds him. He says, go and find him. And he finds him. And what does David do? It is so amazing that David finds this guy and he says, I want to show you favor. And I wonder if David learned from the example of his great-grandparents when Boaz told Ruth, come to my table and eat. Be satisfied and be filled. And so David says, I need to find somebody of the house of Saul that I can show favor to for the sake of Jonathan. They find Mephibosheth. And in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 7, you can read the whole story later on in chapter 9, but just this one verse. It says, and David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you, Mephibosheth, kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you, this is the amazing part. And you shall eat at my table continually. You, this man who was a cripple. The man who should be maybe his enemy because he's the grandson of King Saul. He says, come to my table, eat at my table continually all the days of your life. You will find a place at my table. You will be satisfied by my favor towards you. 
This is the same invitation that God gives to us. It's a beautiful invitation to come to his table, to dine with him, to fellowship with him, to know him. And I wonder if David learned this from his great-grandparents. When Boaz said, Ruth, come to my table. Let me show you favor. Let me provide food for you. I will take care of you. And even more amazing than we get to verse 15 and 16, Boaz instructs his men to, tell, to let Ruth glean in the fields and even tells his men, look, when you're gleaning, you know, just you know, drop a few pieces over there, you know, and that way Ruth can pick it up so she doesn't have such a hard time. You know, leave some things on the side. And so Ruth goes and gleans, and the Bible says in verse 17, she gleaned about an ephah of barley. That's about, we're not 100% sure, but it's probably around somewhere between 30 to 50 pounds of barley. It was a lot of food for one day's work. And then the amazing thing happens, but let's look in Deuteronomy 10, verse 18. It says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or loves the foreigner giving him food and clothing. This is the Lord's heart for the poor. This is the Lord's heart for the fatherless. This is the Lord's heart for the widow. This is the Lord's heart for the needy. And dear people of God, it should be our heart too. It should be our heart too. Just as how Christ reaches out and extends favor towards us, let's extend that to others as well. How do we care for the poor? How do we care for the needy? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul saying, Paul was given some instructions by the elders. And Paul says, well, the only, uh, only they asked us, one specific thing they asked us to do. Remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. I thank God that in, in, in our church here we have master's pantry where we can support and help people that are in need in the community. Toronto Alliance Church, we go and minister to some of the needy people that are, that are there. If you haven't signed up and you want to go, you know, go to the welcome desk after the, after the service today. And there's various ways that we can show kindness. God is great kindness, mercy, favor, and love for the poor and the needy. What are we doing in that regard? Are we his hands and feet? Again, we can see this beautiful story through the eyes of Ruth and God's favor towards us. But let's take a moment as well to look at it through the eyes of Boaz and see our responsibility as well, how God wants us to show the love of God to show the favor of God to others. Every day, 21,000 people die daily of hunger or hunger-related causes. That's one death every four seconds. In Canada, 850,000 people turn to the food banks each month, and one-third are children and youth. One in eight Canadian families struggle to put food on the table. And in Canada, we've wasted about $31 billion of food every year. I just want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. What are we doing for the poor and the needy? Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? The Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Let's be mindful of the poor. Let's be mindful of the needy. Let's be the hands and feet of the Lord. Let God use us for his glory, just as he used Boaz to meet the need of Ruth and Naomi. So we're back to verse 18 now. And in verse 18, Naomi, you know, she's the anxious mother-in-law just waiting at home. I hope Ruth got some food to eat. I'm hungry too. I hope she's bringing me some leftovers too. 
And, Ru- and Naomi is waiting at home. Naomi, who is bitter. Naomi, who is saying, I am empty. Naomi, who is saying, I've, I've come back and I got nothing. Ruth walks in with this big sack over her shoulder, probably, and with 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain. And imagine the look on Naomi's face. When Ruth walks in the door, from bitterness to blessing, God is planning in love. I'm sure Naomi wouldn't have even thought that something like this would happen. And that's why in Ephesians 3 verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do for you uh, for more abundantly than all you, you can ask or think of. God is able to do more abundantly than everything you could ask or think of. And I think that's what just happened here in Ruth, in, in, in Naomi's life as, as Ruth walks in. She was just probably dumbfounded at the blessing. So much grain. And then in, in, in verse 19, Naomi finds out, she's like, whose field were you in? And Ruth says, I'm in the field of Boaz. And then all of a sudden, Naomi has this revelation. Oh, Boaz? Really, Boaz? You know what? Now, you know, my memory's coming back to me now. You know, he is our Kingsman Redeemer. Yeah, I totally forgot about him, you know, in chapter one. But now, oh, yes. And look at what Ruth says. The person that went through such calamity, such problems, such difficulty. Now in verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Oh, all of a sudden now, Naomi is talking about kindness. She has this revelation. When Ruth is walking in the door with this big sack of grain. And Naomi's like, wow, where did you get that? I didn't know there was a Costco now in, in, in Bethlehem. <laughs> you know, she's just shocked. She couldn't believe it. And then she says, look, this is kindness. Kindness. And then she adds in at the end, oh, you know what? This man, he's our close relative. Yeah, I forgot to tell you about that. You, you know, I should have told you to go to his field from the beginning. He's our close relative. Kindness. The, 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 the Hebrew word there is hasid, which means favor, mercy, loving kindness. It's what God shows towards us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. So that in the coming ages, he might show, this is talking about what Christ wants to show towards us, show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. God's immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. We sang just now, about God's grace and how it amazes us. God's immeasurable grace. In Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish. That's who we were, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That's our old life. That's how we were. But then Paul goes on to say, But when the goodness... When the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. According to his favor. According to his love. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is God's love. Naomi, 
who once was bitter and empty and thought the hand of God was against her, now sees the hand of blessing. Now acknowledges the favor of God, his loving kindness. He says, thank God for his loving kindness. He's not stopped showing loving kindness towards us. Oh, and an added blessing. There's a Kingsman Redeemer. And the rest of the verses, verses 21 to 23, it sets up the next chapter. How Boaz, uh, how she's gathering and she's just, she gathers till the end of barley harvest. And that takes us to chapter 3, which we'll look at next week. In this chapter we see God is showing his love for Naomi through the devotion and dedication of Ruth. God is showing his love for Ruth through the kindness and favor of Boaz. And God is showing to us the need to care for the poor and needy through the example of Boaz. It's a picture of the character of God. God uses people to help others see his love. The kindness and favor of God. He wants to use us too. We can see this story through the eyes of Ruth and realize how much God cares for us, and that's an amazing thing. But we can also see the story through the eyes of Boaz and see how much God wants us to care for others and be the hands and feet of the Lord. I'm just going to end the message with a story of a, of a missionary. His name is John Getty. I love missionary stories because some of these people, these men of God, they, they sacrifice so much. And he was a missionary to Vanuatu, um, these cannibalistic islands in the South Seas. And uh, he worked very hard to share the gospel there. And he traveled, when he traveled there, people tried to kill him in that island, stone him, injure him. He faced so many physical injuries, but he endured because he wanted to share the love of Christ. They had a tradition there, if a man died, then his wife would be strangled so that she could die and supposedly go to the afterlife with him. And on one occasion, Getty found a, a woman that was waiting by her husband's dead body. And she was just waiting there in order to be strangled to die. And he took that woman away from there. But the men came and they beat John Getty. He was a Canadian, by the way. Canadian missionary. He t- uh, they took the woman back and they strangled her to death. He tried to stop them, but he couldn't prevail. And after her death, to the risk of his own life, he went and he started to share with them the love of God, the gentleness of Christ. And these people, they saw the love of God just emanating from this man of God to the point that they lowered their clubs and put their sticks away. He said, as he was traveling to this island, in accord with the Redeemer's command, and assured of his presence, we are going forth to those lands where Satan has established his dark domain. I know that suffering awaits me, but to bear the Redeemer's yoke is an honor to the one who has felt the Redeemer's love. How many of us have felt the Redeemer's love. Maybe you don't know what it is to know the Redeemer's love. After the service today, we'll have people here that are, are here to pray for you. 
And I just want to challenge you, if you've never felt the favor of God, the love of God, the kindness and goodness of God, God is here. This was a heathen land, and he, he said, the love of Christ sustains us and constrains us. John Getty said, my heart pants to tell this miserable people the wonders of redeeming love. If ever we win these benighted islanders, we must draw them with cords of love. I know of no power that is adequate to transform their lives except that which transformed my own life, namely the power of the living Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That love of Christ, that favor of God, that kindness of God is transforming. Shown through Boaz to Ruth and Naomi radically changed their lives. And Ruth said, who am I, a foreigner, that you would look upon me and show me favor? And for each and every one of us, we can look to the Lord as well and say, Lord, who am I? Who am I that I would gain favor from you? And there was an inscription written, to, written about him. It says, when he landed in 1848 on that island, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen here. He labored for the Lord, showing the love of God, showing the kindness of God. So many of us, we have been blessed beyond measure to experience God's kindness, love, and favor. Shall we not take the next step and show that favor and love and kindness towards others as well? God bless you.